heavily, I'm a clown. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Bitcoin Echo Chamber. I have a fantastic guest on the show today, a guy named Lightning Koala. I'm not going to tell you his real name because, you know, he's smart, but I'm really trying to get lots of guests on the show who know a thing or two about Lightning, particularly at the application level, because that's where I think people have the most interest in Lightning, right? I mean, I could bring some protocol devs on here and have them talk about the nuts and bolts of Lightning, but I think we would all get lost pretty quickly, you know, especially if I bring a guy like Roast Beef on here who talks a mile a minute and and no one has any idea what it is that he's saying. But what's really interesting about Lightning Koala and some of the applications that he's developed is that it allows you to get really quick hands-on experience with Lightning. And in some cases, it's actually like an on-ramp for Lightning. It actually convinces people to download a Lightning wallet and, and try it out, see what it's all about. And once you try Lightning for the very first time and you see how fast it is and you see that it's free... Uh, it, it just blows your mind. I mean, you, you can never go back after that. So I think you guys are really going to enjoy this interview. Um, I really had a fun time talking with Lightning Koala, and I look forward to hopefully, you know, doing this type of thing with him again in the future. Before we get started, if you guys want to support the show, you can go over to BitcoinEchoChamber.com. There's more information available over there on that. Or if you just want to, you know, keep up to date with all the things that are going on with Bitcoin Echo Chamber, you can obviously find more information out at the website. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast if you've been enjoying listening to the show. And we always appreciate any rates, any stars, any thumbs up or whatever platform you're using, whatever um, media of feedback they have. All that stuff, it all helps our numbers out. It all makes us look better on the grand scheme of things. So I totally appreciate whatever support you're willing to give me for doing this, providing this content for you. So let's do a quick word from the sponsors and then we'll get into the interview. This episode of the Bitcoin Echo Chamber podcast is sponsored by WTFHappenedIn1971.com. The economics meme taking the world by storm where all of us are trying to find out the answer to what the heck happened in 1971. WTF1971 also has a merch store now. You can find it at WTF-1971.creator-spring.com. I'll post a link to that down in the show notes if you want to check it out. Thanks for the support. All right, so I'm here today with Lightning Koala. Now, Lightning Koala, you are an Ethereum dev, correct? No, <laughs> that's incorrect. <laughs> oh, crap. Well, this is embarrassing. I thought I was bringing on some Ethereum guy here. Wait, what show is this again? Uh, I'm just I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right, <laughs> joke's over, guys. So uh, Lightning Koala, obviously a Lightning Bitcoin developer, application developer, Uh it, who has developed some pretty interesting things. Uh, I think, what what was like your, your first kind of breakout project? Was that Satoshi's Place? Or like the first thing that kind of puts you out there? Yeah, I think so. I think that was at least under Lightning Koala. Okay. Oh, so how, how long have you been working with Bitcoin? Uh, for about uh, three years, at least track of time. I think it's three. Three years. Okay. Yeah, I was listening to your, uh, I like re- went back and re-listened to your interview that you did with Marty Bent uh, back in like October. And you guys, you kind of talked through your origin story a little bit, but like for my mm-hmm. audience who has never maybe, maybe might not know who Lightning Koala is, can you tell us like how you kind of got into Bitcoin? Uh, yeah, I got into Bitcoin around 2014. Uh, I think 
the first uh, time I heard about it was uh, through a YouTube video. <coughs> excuse me, of uh, Antonopoulos speaking to the Canadian Senate, I think. And um, yeah, that was like the beginning of the rabbit hole for me. And ever since then, I've just been sort of like keeping, um, but like reading about it, just like keeping up with the news. And then at some point I, I, I just thought, okay, this is what I, what I want to start working um, on. So, so eventually I got some, some work in the field and, and then I ended up where I am now. But you were you have like a background in software development before you got into Bitcoin, right? Or maybe is it was it professional or was it more of like a hobbyist kind of thing? Yeah, it was professional. Uh, so I've been a software engineer for over ten years now, and uh, prior to that, I was a hardware designer. So I used to to build electronic circuits, um, yeah, for access control systems. Okay, and so what was it about Bitcoin that got you like, oh wow, I want to work with this? Um, it was a lot of things. Um, I think just the, the kind of nature of it, like the the, the freedom um, that <clears throat> sort of sovereign money gives you, and um, the tech around it is like really cool. And, and the ideas of building all these applications is just something that fascinates me. And then like that, just as a big fuck you to the banks as well. Um, I really like that part of bitcoin as well yeah. and um yeah, i think we can all get behind and that. the community <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh i got one of these uh that was like one of, oh nice like a i have, I have that a, uh, canvas of that i'm like one back here uh, that's a bit bigger this is like a sticker version of it <laughs> yeah and um <clears throat> uh what was that what was i I forgot. Oh, you yeah. were talking about uh, how you you were interested in working with Bitcoin because it's an FU to the banks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, in the community, I wanted to say like the community is actually really cool, and I've met a lot of people, I've made a lot of friends, and it's just been it's just been a really fun, um, really fun journey. Okay, and so you're you're most known as Lightning Koala, obviously, but did you ever do any work on Bitcoin, like at the protocol level? Uh, I haven't, no. Okay. Uh, I, the only reason I asked that is because I just took uh, Justin Moon's Biddle Bootcamp not too long ago. Oh, nice. I, I'm i not, like, good enough to really work at the protocol level, but I can at least say that I somewhat understand it now um, or how it's how like, how like it's built, I guess you could say. Uh, but there's no way. I'm not going to be, like, merging any PRs anytime soon or anything. That's probably more than I know. Um I hung out with Justin Moon. He was here in London uh, last week, and, and I had a lot of fun uh, talking with him and stuff. We, we went around London, played some lightning chess, and uh, he's a really cool guy. I really like, I really like the work he's doing. Yeah, I like him a lot too. Uh, yeah, and his his course is awesome. Like I show it every chance I get. Uh, it's a good experience. But so now for me though, lightning is an enigma. So that's why I have you here today because. <laughs> You need to educate us because, all right, I get a lot of <coughs> questions from a lot of people. Um, they don't get lightning. Like, they, they understand that, like, what it's supposed to do. Okay, lightning scales Bitcoin. It lets us go faster. But there's that's that's kind of where the understanding ends. You know what I mean? Um, and I, I don't need you to necessarily explain all of lightning, how, how it works, like the nuts and bolts. But wh- why is it such a exponential technology? Like, what, what's so crazy about lightning? Um, I think it's 
a solution to to the uh, medium of exchange problem in Bitcoin. Just the fact that um, you know the transaction fees uh, is a problem, and, and like if you want to make really small uh, transactions, like in amount in terms of amounts, like it doesn't really make sense to put that on chain. It doesn't scale very well. Like the the data structure of the blockchain isn't really suited for that. Um, so yeah, it's just it kind of <clears throat> enables a virtually unlimited amount of transactions for a technically very small fee, or at least the the incentives are and and the ability to run a node are such that there would be so much competition that. It would it like eventually drive down. Well, it should keep fees relatively low, uh, although we don't know about that yet. But in theory, that that should be the case. Um, yeah, one of the most common questions I get is like, "Can I make money uh, routing payments <coughs> with Lightning?" I'm like, "Well, not really. <laughs> not unless you're Alex Bosworth, and then it's going to be like five dollars a month." But yeah, I mean, I think you you can or you will be able to. Uh, but you have to be a really, really, really good routing node. Like, you have to. It's not only like just running a node and being well connected. It's like you need to um, balance your rebalance your channels. Uh, you need to um, watch out for like who are other good routing nodes that you should be connected to, and like um, you know, you need to be, have like hundred percent uptime and. and there's there's a lot of things, a lot a lot more that goes into it, um, but having said that, um, you know it's it's uh, yeah I mean it's I don't know like maybe maybe there will be like some specialization but then maybe it will just be not like the barrier of entry is is slightly lowered anyway because I mean there's a lot of like. I imagine like for DevOps engineers and like infrastructure engineers and like backend engineers, those kind of people, like they are the sort of people who will be able to, to handle that side of like, you know, running that infrastructure in a, in a, in a high, high enough reasonably quality uh, that like people will, will want to pay you to wrap fees. But I don't know. I guess, I guess that's uh, all up in the air right now. Sure. And I look at like, um, I look at the lightning network and I see that Ellen big guy, you know, who's got like over a million dollars on lightning network, which is completely hashtag reckless. But <coughs> I have to wonder, like, I would love to see some data on like how much routing activity that guy actually gets. Cause it seems like he's kind of just spray and praying. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. It's, yeah. uh, I, I don't I, think, I don't think anybody knows who he, who he actually is. Yeah, I don't know if you'd be able to to do like sort of uh, network analysis to figure out or to have like a, an accurate es estimate. Like, I, I don't know actually. Um, so, just caveat here: like, I'm actually mostly focused on like the application level of stuff. Like, sure. I, I I'm I'm in the the L and D Slack group, and I, I talk to a couple of the guys and stuff. But by no means, I'm like a, a good reference to 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 talk about like. Um, right. Yeah, protocol stuff. 
Um, yeah, and that's that's actually why I brought you on because I th- I think that the application side of Lightning uh, is is actually what's so exciting about Lightning because I think it's going to enable just a whole new paradigm shift of online commerce, like types of things we've never been able to do before. I like yeah. you. Some of the applications you've made are a really great example of just baby steps, you know, as to what's going to be possible. Um, What actually gave you the idea for Satoshi's Place? Actually, there might be some listeners who don't even know what Satoshi's Place is, but could you give us like your basic synopsis of what Satoshi's Place is and what you had in mind when you created it? Okay, so uh, Satoshi's Place is an online collaborative art board that uses Lightning Network payments to to paint uh, on the board. And basically... It's a one million pixel square uh, canvas, and each pixel costs one Satoshi to paint. So the idea is, at the time, like um, one of the ideas was to well, like what's the cheapest thing that you can do right now in Lightning? And this was um, in around June last year, when when um, well, it was actually April, but. Uh, yeah, so at the time it was like uh, Z- uh, Yals was like the closest thing where you could publish an article and I wanted like the rock bottom thing so I wanted to say okay um, let's make something that people can spend one Satoshi on um, and yeah I mean the idea came from um, uh, I, I set up two nodes and I connected them together so it was just a direct channel uh, this was back in like January, February last year and I and I just blasted transactions between them because I just wanted to see like at the current implementation at the time like how how many transactions can you get per second basically in a direct channel so there's no like crazy routing and stuff and I can't remember the number I got but I I, remember, I was impressed and I was like oh this is cool like so what about if we you know so so now we can have like small like uh, small payments for like certain types of interactions so i thought oh wouldn't it be cool to do something like uh, making it rain satoshis like uh and then i made this little prototype thing where you could like flick coins as you click them to flick them but anyway uh and the idea yeah was to basically send send people uh satoshis and then i uh i kind of like that was like a rabbit hole for me like i i was like oh shit but wait to do that, I need to come up with a way where I ask people invoices because that's the way Lightning works right now. And um, and then I thought, okay, well, what about if I did something like Street Fighter, where uh, each punch you you make um, will trigger a payment? Um, and then I realized, okay, well, that's even worse because uh, now I need some way to enforce the rules, and I need to like pull payments from the other user. Um, and then I, I kind of went back to basics and I'm like, okay, so yeah, we got this thing. It's like microtransactions, like what's, what's like the simplest, uh, concept I can think of. And then at some point I just thought of like the canvas and I was, I was heavily inspired by Reddit place. Uh, there was, um, for the listeners who don't know this, uh, Reddit launched, um, an April fool's project back in 2016 I think and it was basically the same thing it was like a a million pixel canvas and you could change the color of a single pixel roughly every five minutes Um, and so it just turned into this crazy thing where like people were collaborating to paint flags and like 
fighting there was a huge fight between Germany and France and like France took over sorry Germany took over France and then it turned into the European Union flag and then in the meantime there was like all this other stuff going on around it it was just amazing if, if you get a chance look for uh, the time lapse on on uh, YouTube it's really fun to watch yeah that was so, back when Reddit was good <laughs> <laughs> yeah and uh, yeah Satoshi's place was uh inspired in on that idea and uh that's basically it so if i may satoshi's place is like bathroom wall graffiti where you have to pay a quarter to rent a sharpie at the door yes exactly <laughs> exactly yeah that's that's another way to describe it <laughs> yeah well, actually what it really first reminded me of when i saw it was the million dollar homepage. yeah that's the funny thing is I hadn't actually heard of the million dollar page until um, somebody else mentioned it. But, yeah. So I guess Reddit Place was inspired on that. And Satoshi's Place was originally inspired on Reddit Place. But um, yeah. That's interesting. So, and you mentioned uh, you kind of had to figure out how to get the system to work from a payment request perspective. What kind of issues has that caused for you as like an application developer having to think in terms of uh, payment requests? Because we're so used to push systems. Yeah. Or I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're well, we're or pull, compared pull to systems, like right. right, right, right. We're so used yeah. to pull systems. Um, has, has that had to change? Has that like influenced your design decision making at all? Uh, that was specific to the idea of like having uh, like that game with the Street Fighter game. Um, it, was, it was specific to that use case, um, which since I've iterated upon and, and um, came to to something uh, of, a, of a like this implementation or solution with Koala Studio, um, but specifically for Satoshi's place, it, it was pretty simple in the sense that it was just um, like you post up an invoice and it's almost like. It's just a shop, basically. I was just selling the pixels over and over again. So it, it wasn't that complicated from a payment request perspective. That came later uh, with the with sort of like the gaming stuff that we're doing now. I, I think it'll be really interesting if we see somebody come up with some sort of push solution for Lightning. I think that that will open a lot of doors from the application perspective. Uh, you mean pull pull solution, right? Well, so it's pull right now, isn't it? Uh, well, I you know, have to broadcast the way has to. Yeah, the way I think of it is like it's it's like you're pushing money out, and nobody can pull pull money away from you, basically. Like right now, like the banking system, um, you know, if let's say you set up a subscription with Netflix, then every month Netflix is pulling money from you. At least that's the okay. mental model I have when I right. when I talk and about push pull. So kind of what I'm thinking um, in this in this vein is that like if I want to receive money from you, I have to first send you um, a payment request. Yeah. So that that from like an application perspective. So like I'm thinking of. Um, have you seen that Space Invaders game that someone made recently uh, where the high score winner wins like the pot of Satoshis that have been paid yeah, to play I was the a, game? I was number one for a very brief amount of time. <laughs> yeah. So, and how did, you may or may not know this, but how does the payout work? Once you're the high score winner, do they like send you an email and then you generate a payment request? I don't know. I never won. Uh, See, I, 
Yeah, exactly. At that, at that point, it would have to be something like that. Which is kind of clunky, you know? It's like, it's not as elegant as I would like. You know, if I, if I had developed that application, I would want to be like, okay, well, this guy won. Just send him his Satoshis. You know, I don't want him to have to worry about getting me a payment invoice. That's what I mean by, like, yeah. pull and push. Right. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's definitely an interesting problem to solve. And um, I think there's a couple of ways around it. So, so the, the one that you'd be able to do today it would just be in advance. You would ask them for an invoice. Okay. And then, yeah, it's still clunky. But there's something that's being worked on uh, called Sphinx. And um, it's basically the ability to send a payment to somebody without a payment request. So it would, it would be sort of like how um, uh, on-chain Bitcoin works, where you, know, you have an address, you just give somebody that address, and they can just keep sending you uh, multiple payments for different amounts. Um, at least as far as I can tell, that's, that's how it would work. And yeah, and that would solve that problem basically because then you could say, okay, you want to play this game? Oh, by the way, leave us whatever the Sphinx address format is going to be. And, and then when, you know, if you win, then we can do the payout. Right. Yeah. The, the only, and the only reason that I uh, see that sort of as like a design possible hindrance is because i would think if you were doing something like that you would want to keep it as autonomous as possible like you would try you would not want to have custody over like the the winnings that were going to be paid out to you know you would want to try to automate that process so that you were not involved so that if like a gambling regulatory agency ever stepped in and said hey you can't do this you could just be like well i'm not doing anything like the program is doing it um yeah because what what first came to my mind like when i saw that space invaders thing was Oh, well, we're literally, this is going to revive like the uh, 80s era quarter arcade games. You know what I mean? Where like every time you want to play, you have to pay, but it's going to provide an incentive to play by like, hey, I can win money by playing this game. So like if you can build some sort of feedback loop with addicting gameplay, um, gambling with payouts, like the potential to earn income from it. And that one more quarter just got to keep playing mentality. You might be able to build something really powerful there. Yeah, um, that's kind of the same model that we're using in Koala Studio, actually. Um, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I I really like the metaphor of the gaming arcade. Like the way I describe Koala Studio is like, uh, it's like an arcade machine where you pop in some coins and then it gives you that credit, and then you can just go off and play your games. But not only on th- that machine, but potentially on like all the machines in the arcade um, gallery, uh, and then at the end of it. The, the difference is that you can actually withdraw um, whatever balance you have, uh, whether you won or you lost or, or whatever's left over. Um, yeah, and I think those applications are really cool. Like in terms of uh, being like the custody of it, the problem is um, if, you, if you're doing like chance games, then there are, there are ways to, to um, mitigate that a little bit like basically to minimize the amount of time that the custodian or the referee holds holds the funds uh the the problem is with all the other types of games like you still need that kind of um person that decides makes a decision at the end of the game like who won right it's the referee um so you're always going to have that problem like of um there's somebody that, that makes the decision at the end of the day. So even if you if you manage to remove the the 
the custodian part, or like let's say the the escrow part. Basically, that person acting as just like the middleman, that um, or the escrow. Uh, even if you remove that, you still have the problem of well, somebody's going to have to decide the outcome of the game. Yeah, and do you think that that could ever be like totally autonomous? <clears throat> I don't like, know. With a provably fair, like in terms of provably fair algorithms or something like that. Uh, yeah, with provably fair for chance games, you can do that. Um, for the other kinds of games, I don't know. I I, I wouldn't say so because, like, imagine imagine the game like um, Call of Duty, and. Uh, you're able to wager in that game, uh, then you know the game engine is incredibly complex, <laughs> and and the game rules are incredibly complex. Like, how would you implement that in a in a decentralized way? I don't know. Uh, yeah, that, that's when like smart contracts start to get really interesting. No, you know, is like you have two parties enter into an agreement, like they both deposit X amount of money, and then when win conditions are met, like if Team A wins, they get the payout. If Team B wins, they get the payout. Right, um, but you'd have but, to like implement the conditions into the smart contract, which right. is yeah. not is not that could get pretty complicated. Exactly, uh, and and I don't, I'm not. It's not clear to me that that's necessary. Um, basically. The way I see it is is um, the money part is is the important part. Like once that's um, if we can trust that part, then uh, the custodian part becomes sort of it's sort of like the Pandora's box that's open. You know, like it's it's uh, technically very easy for somebody to implement a system like that. So you know, we're doing like jurisdiction. Uh, if it's a, a jurisdictional problem, then it's like jurisdictional arbitrage. You know, if you don't do it, if you, if your country doesn't let uh, let you do it, then another country's going to do it. I mean, we already have that nowadays with gambling laws. Like, um, people go to like countries like Gibraltar and other places where uh, there are like licenses where you can get, you can actually run um, a, a legal business that operates like an online gambling place and stuff. If you yeah, if you look at like where these places are are set up, there's always like, yeah, there's usually concentrate around a place that's like friendly towards those those things. But um, yeah, I'm the riverboat casinos come to mind too. You know, in the United States. Yeah, I'm not aware of those. Oh, so uh, in certain states in the U.S. where uh, gambling is illegal, or certain types of card games are illegal, they actually have ferries that will go out onto waterways that are not regular are relegated to whatever those particular local laws are and you can gamble while you're out on the boat and then you <coughs> come back to the shore it's a huge money-making scheme wow. it's it's brilliant wow it's amazing i, I used yeah. to uh have a uh a, a boat casino where i lived but it was more of a novelty thing like you could go have dinner there and like play but it was it wasn't because of any legal uh, yeah. Well, maybe one day we'll see like um, riverboat gambling casinos that just house server infrastructure for <laughs> online gambling, <laughs> and they just they just like sit off the coast of local <laughs> principalities to skirt the local laws. Who knows? Would be the the next blockchain cruise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like the those guys that were putting all the 
uh, internet infrastructure on oil platforms back in like the 90s to like try to (laughs) stay away from the governments and everything. And I'm just like so interested by this idea of going to an arcade because like we grew up in the era of going to the arcade, you know, like and getting your quarters and playing arcade games. And that, that experience is kind of dead. Like I've been to, um, in the U S they have these Dave and busters and they're terrible. Like you go and pay like $9 for a beer and you can play, uh, this chance game, that crane game or this shooting game. And they don't have, it's not arcades like it used to be. Um, but the idea of, being able to take my shitty tickets, you know, that I win, and instead of trading them for a teddy bear, being able to turn them back into money, like, that's a really appealing idea, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny. Like, uh, in San Francisco, I was there uh, last year. It, I don't know if it's, like, becoming a nationwide trend or it's just localized, but there's a bar that, like, has all these retro arcade machines. There's one in San Diego, too. It's called Coinop. Yeah. So it's... It's sort of like the vinyl thing coming back. Yeah, um, yeah, they're a lot of fun too. Yeah, yeah, and like the other thing, uh, now that we're like touching on nostalgia, uh, it's co-op gaming is the other thing that I, I also miss a lot. It's just like um, I think that that co-op gaming uh, era is like gone now because now nowadays it's mostly like online multiplayer games. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I miss that aspect, and I think there's there's a lot of interest interesting things to be done there like with what we're doing in, in qual studio like we set up a chess game right and in the chess game uh you have this ability to like uh, wager uh, a bet against your opponent or you can um pay him to undo a move or pay him to extend the timer or pay him to propose a draw uh so you got this thing of like there's there's money flowing between users and stuff and um uh we didn't set up a, a public lobby because we thought, okay, um, this is more for uh, you to play with your family or friends, uh, you know, at the bar or if you go to a meetup or, or a conference and you meet somebody and you want to just break the ice, then just pop out your phone, have a quick game of chess, you know, something like that. That was kind of like the experience that we were looking for. Um, but in the meantime, like we've had a lot of people saying, oh, we want a public lobby and like we want to. Uh, matchmaking so that we can play with uh, random people. The problem there is that um, we need to worry about cheating a lot more because once you're like matching up with random people on the internet and there's money involved, then the incentives are pretty high to to cheat. Um, and yeah, so so that was kind of why we, we made that decision. Um, but I agree this this idea of like. Um, having uh, you know an arcade machine, and then you could potentially win something out of it. That's not just a teddy bear. It's actually some some satoshis. It's pretty cool. Um, and and like again, if you're at the bar with a friend, and imagine you could wager on a on one of those arcade machines. It would probably be on a phone, but it would be playing a game on the phone, and you're wagering over the next round of beers. Um, yeah. That's the kind of other use case that I thought would be really cool. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. And, and I think sort of like a lot of these games that have kind of gone viral in social circles, um, like in the last decade, games like uh, <coughs> Words with Friends or like Trivia Crack, like games that people were playing with each other like all the time with no real financial incentive, like taking the lightning chess model that you guys built and with that with that peer-to-peer friendly wager deal and actually um, you could put that on top of a lot of different things, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of... Uh, board games or like um yeah a lot of these kind of games they're very easily and and i mean what we built is basically um we have we have an account system uh and it's a custodial account but and the reason is because it simplifies the ux flow for for a lot of the games like um and and there's more i can talk about that but uh the idea of that was also to make it so that now we can actually build games um and integrate with that system much easier so we don't have to keep re-implementing the the lightning stuff um so yeah i mean that's that's the plan is to kind of like build out a bigger catalog of games and like explore these other ideas but um we've been like for the past two weeks we've been like thinking okay what's the quickest way to to scale that and i think uh what we're exploring now is just like actually build like an sdk for our account system and then make that available to any third-party developer. So we really want people to basically build, uh, we we want like a lot of games to be built basically. And so we're like, what's the quickest way to do that? Because there's only so much output that we can can do for a year. Okay, yeah, and for those of you listening, like an SDK is just like developer tools. Um, to make it easier for people to go in and, and kind of copy <laughs> what, what these guys are doing. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, and the interactions in the games are, are really fun to think about, I think. I mean, um, yeah, there's there's already there's a lot of creativity around thinking, oh, now that I have this ability to allow players to uh, not only purchase something from me, because that's, that's an existing model, like in, in, in-game monetization, uh, you already have like, uh, and it's a really big market as well. But uh, you already have games where you can go in and you can buy some skins, or you can buy something that actually like allows you to have an advantage over the game. It's colloquially known as the pay to win. Um, but what we what we were trying to do with Lightning Chess was extend that idea to well, it's not only a one way one way payment. It's not only that like the game developer selling you stuff. But it's also the players within the game uh, interacting with each other with money. So the idea that so so that opens up like a whole slew of like um, creative ideas that you can have in a game. Like you can think, oh, um, I don't know, like uh, uh, yeah. I mean, basically, whatever game you you have, you try and like look at it and see, okay what makes sense here where perhaps a player can pay the other player for something like some some advantage or or whatever um and then waging bets as well of course and spectating yeah i get in this argument a lot with people the the people that are really interested in like the the altcoins uh, that that are supposed to be like decentralized protocols for building digital assets uh, and people that want to integrate I think engine is what it's called engine coin where they want to like integrate oh, yeah. these fungible digital asset 
backed on a blockchain into like game networks so that you have something. But my argument to those people is that like Steam already does that and they do it really, really well and they have a centralized database and they have no incentive whatsoever to do that on like a decentralized um, blockchain based ecosystem because it just makes no sense. But if you look at something like Steam, you know, where you have all these assets like in a centralized place that you can swap between games and break down for gems and sell on a marketplace, add lightning into that equation where like you can trade with other players for, for real world money using lightning transactions because the banking thing is solved. And I think that like that's a no brainer compared to something ridiculous like Ethereum ERC20 weapon skins or whatever. I looked into uh, ERC tokens, well, NFTs, I think they're called, non-fungible tokens for, for gaming applications. And this is actually something that's existed for since the days of like Counterparty. Um, there's been a lot of people working on this problem and it's just kind of like morphed uh, into into Ethereum as well. And, and But to me, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's it's sort of, Another way that people are looking at, at games and, um, and this tech. Uh, me personally, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think that it's ready yet for that. Um, I think Lightning will be ready before um, in-game assets on the, on a blockchain will be ready. Basically, like I think, uh, or if if they ever are going to be ready, I, it's not clear to me. Um, yeah. Basically, it's it's kind of uninteresting to me, or at least not as yeah. interesting as, as a lightning part. Yeah, because I think once, because uh, the real problem, like the real reason I can't take my Steam items and sell them uh, for real money that I can like then take and spend on something is because of the banking thing. Like they don't want to have to be liable for people laundering money through those systems. But if Lightning and Bitcoin like, are already trustless anyway, and you have a centralized system there. Like the banks can't stop those transactions from happening once Lightning is on top of um, those those game systems. That's why I think that the the blockchain digital assets are not. I don't want to say irrelevant, but I don't think that they're as cool as people make them out to be. Um, when centralized systems like what Steam has already work so well, and it's just the on and off ramps, the payment channels. I think that that Lightning makes so interesting. Yeah, it, that's just my I think, sense. Yeah, I think it's the permissionless of it, the permissionlessness nature of it. I think that's like crucial. Um, I always, I always think like um, you know, you know, for gaming specifically, like we're we're talking about um, a younger audience. Generally speaking, we're talking about a younger audience, right? Which um, which usually means that you know, um, kids might not have a bank account, for example. Um, and they want to like trade with their friends and, and they don't have access to that. So it's just like an access problem basically. And with Bitcoin and Lightning, I, I basically see it as sort of like, these guys are going to be adopting it way before they're a able to open a bank account. And, you know, it, it's just going to become natural to them. Like kids, kids today are just like going to grow up with this thing as natural as, as it was when we grew up. I mean, I, when I grew up with, like what um cassette tapes and stuff like that was oh cool we have we have uh something that i could put in a in a machine and it'll just like show me a whole movie and then that kind of evolved from there but i, I couldn't imagine a world before that you know like my grandfather listening to his radio 
you know, everybody in the living room sitting around and listening to a radio was like the thing that that happened. Uh, I, I think kids nowadays are just like growing up with this tech, and it's it's just going to be like secret supernatural. So, um, I think the the uh, yeah, I mean, it, it opens up the per permissionless nature of it. And then the other thing is is the cost, because um, I think the and the, the cost and, the, and sort of like the minimum requirements when you deposit uh, something. So because it's going through like the traditional banking system, mm -hmm. um, there's the payment processing fees. There's the usually there's like a, a, a fixed fee, and then there's a percentage on top of that, and then there's like minimums that you need to do. But then on top of that, you have uh, chargebacks, which are always um, uh, is always a problem for the merchant itself. In this case, the, the game developer would have to worry about that. You know, if there's a chargeback within 48 hours. He needs to worry about uh, uh, rolling back that transaction within his game. So that actually like introduces a lot of complexity. Uh, and then and then there's fraud as well. And um, and I'm probably missing something else, but there's a lot of elements that that make it very attractive to use something like this. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, even even like the the micro the ability to just to purely do microtransactions, like the the low denomination of um, uh, you know with one satoshi right now potentially could even go down to to million satoshis. We're talking like fractions of a penny. It's like um, the way that I always tell people it's like well, you know. Uh, if you're talking about these ga big gaming uh, studios, like it might not make a lot of sense, you know, because these guys, um, <clears throat> they're talking like about bigger, bigger revenues, and like you need to worry about uh, the distribution platforms which lock them into payment processors. Like if you're if you're launching a game on like Google Play or or the Apple Store, then um, it, it's a bit trickier there. Uh, but with Bitcoin, you know, like we've seen that the 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 way to transport Bitcoin and, and Lightning is completely agnostic to the platform. Like the way um, the Tip in Me guy like just implemented Lightning into um, that Lightning button in the Twitter platform, and then you can just like pay like without having to to do anything to get any permission from from Twitter and just sort of you know things like that, like people doing it. With ham radio now and like satellites, so basically, I think it will circumvent a lot of these distribution platforms. And so, for the big game studios, they have that kind of like um, uh, they have the problem that they they've invested a lot of capital into this, and it might be slower to move into this. But the big sort of attraction of this, to me, is for the indie game developers, and I and I say indie basically like small to medium sized game studios. Because those are the guys who are like, uh, they have a reason to do this. Because, um, you know, for all the other reasons that I've mentioned before, uh, not only that, not only that, but we're seeing like massive growth in, in the Lightning Network um, user base, uh, and so suddenly you have this new revenue stream to look for, this new like user base to to target, um, and we've seen that from from like. The experiments that people have been playing with, you know, it's it's back to like the early Bitcoin days where people are just like tipping others and they're just like spending like small amounts. We're back to those days, um, and so yeah, so I, I think it's like a no-brainer for those for those guys. Um, 
to look into this. And, um, yeah, sorry, I, I ranted there. <laughs> no, it's great. I love it. Yeah, I've had more people just randomly send me Satoshis on Lightning just because, like, they're using Lightning uh, than, like... And probably, I mean, it's, and it's not much, it's, but it's just interesting, you know, like it's interesting that it creates that. So here you have like this hardest money in the world and a community of like diehard iron gripped hodlers whose mantra is to never spend their Bitcoin. And they're like, oh, well, this lightning thing is pretty cool. I'm going to just start giving people all this Bitcoin. And it's like, what is this? What is going on? Yeah, it's hilarious. Like a lot of people are saying, oh, I'm not spending my Bitcoin until 10 years down the line and i'm here like desperately trying to get the the torch you know like send it to me send it to me like that that's the thing like people are just having fun with it and and i think that's the beauty of it it's like you, you bring you bring the fun back in, into the tech and uh and now suddenly people don't care so much about um you know time preference and, and stuff it's it's not that they don't care i mean they, we're talking about really tiny amounts and then people always go back to the kind of like, oh, but, you know, in a couple of years, that tiny, I'm going to be like, shit, I, I paid like a thousand dollars to paint dicks on, on Satoshi Pines. And it's like, well, yeah, but not really, because if you hadn't, then it wouldn't have driven the adoption of it, you know, just the way, same way, like a uh, guy who bought pizza, he was like the first guy to set up the price to Bitcoin. If he hadn't done that, then we would have been probably not where we are today. Yeah, I wonder, I don't know if the uh, 10,000 Satoshi dicks on Satoshi's place will be as wholesome of a story as the 10,000 Bitcoin pizzas, but... <laughs> but there's going to be a lot more of those. <laughs> we, could, we could get there. Um, I'm of the belief that Lightning and Bitcoin are going to create such an <clears throat> unbelievable paradigm shift in the way we do... Um, digital commerce that you're going to be and i i'll I'll explain that what i mean by this but you're going to be more incentivized to participate in this new digital ecosystem than you are to hodl your bitcoin to an extent i think there's still going to be hodlers i'm still going to be a hodler right for the for the monetary aspect but i think the digital ecosystem that's going to emerge from this is going to be so great that you're going to like want to participate and it's going to drive uh, people to spend their bitcoins well what i i, I think that it's actually going to be um there's going to be use cases that come out come out of this that you don't have an alternative to to pay for let's say like the only way you can use that service is if you spend if you use lightning lightning or bitcoin um and and so that i think that's going to be the key thing and and um I, like this, this is what I've been telling people. Like when when I'm looking at the the gaming stuff uh, versus like um, merchants adopting it for for point of sale. Um, part of my argument is like, well, you know, with the point of sale, it's like we haven't reached the stage of adoption where um, you know hyperbitcoinization, where it's just like, okay, well, we're just going to use Bitcoin. But it's just you know, you get you people are have fiat, they have their bank accounts, they have contactless, like things generally work on this side of the world anyway, where I live. Um, and so the point is, you know, there's no reason for that person to use their Bitcoin versus fiat, right? 
and um, and then Gresham's law and, and whatever. Uh, and so the problem there is because they have the alternative. They have the alternative to spend their fiat. And so the way I see it is like, well, so what are the things that you can make where um, there isn't that alternative? Like, what's what's what are the use cases where shit like we 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 can only use lightning for this like you can't do it in fiat and satoshi space is a bit like that like you can't you can't paint a single pixel with a credit card basically like even if i implemented stripe uh to accept stripe like you you wouldn't be able to do that um you'd have to spend like 30 cents minimum or something like that or at least yeah so yes that's the way i, I see it it's like there's going to be those use cases where um yeah it's just it's native to to bitcoin in a sense uh and and that will kind of like drive the usage that way uh yeah and then i i think that that's going to grow in parallel with like you know more and more um retrofitting of the existing economy um but i think there's like a horizon that like we can't see right now that's like the same way that back in the 90s if you thought about the internet you couldn't like think of you know uber and stuff and and what the implications that had and 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 this kind of like economy that it kind of sprung out of it that's that so i agree with your sentiment i think that this is going to like bring about um unprecedented innovation and like whole new industries and markets it's just that it's so hard to predict them and so hard to to see it and, and I really think most of us are going to get blindsided by by what's going to come out um, but it's yeah it's, it's part of it yeah I, I have make a regular habit of calling it a paradigm shift because that's exactly what it's going to be yeah yeah well I'm I'm excited man like it's, it's, every, it's like every day I get on Twitter and I see some cool new thing that people are doing with Lightning. I mean, if, if it, like this this past few weeks have been like so exciting between Jack Dorsey taking the Lightning torch and then like seeing the guy just put like the the tip button on Twitter like you like you mentioned the little Lightning bolt and like all these games that are constantly coming out. Um, it's it's just really interesting. Oh, let I want to talk about. Uh, I think it's Chain Code. I think made that game that's for streamers. Uh, the game where you can actually uh, buy, like, health or more enemies. I, is that Chain Code that made that game? Uh, that's Constantine from uh, Donner Labs. Oh, okay, uh, okay. If you look up, I'm just trying to find his, his Twitter. Uh, yeah, he usually live streams once a week now. I think it's on Mondays. Yeah, Donner Lab with uh, two ends. Yeah, Donner Lab one. Yeah, Donner so Lab. What was the question? Oh, I just wanted to kind of talk about that, like, because to me, like, when I first heard about that, I was just like, "Whoa, that's cool." Yeah, it's really cool. Have you played it? I mean, no, I have. Have you have you participated in the streams? I have not. So I, I've uh, I've been talking to Constantine since last year because I met him at the Lisbon conference um, breaking. Bitcoin, and um, he showed me. So we were on, we were in the audience, and then I was sitting next to him, and then he showed me this demo, which was a Unity, a Unity demo of like these tanks, uh, this tank game, and he implemented lightning payments on it, such that uh, 
you know, we were both playing it, and then a QR code pops up, and then he paid it, and then uh, a shield um, was. I got a shield on my on my tank, and I was completely blown away by this. And then we started talking about it, and he was like um, explaining to me this idea of uh, Twitch streamers and and how we could use lightning to um, allow the audience to interact with the players in the game. Um, and that's what he's built, basically. The the game they're they're working on now that they're still iterating is basically like um, uh, almost like a tower defense type of game, uh, where he plays a character uh, that's in this field, and there's waves of monsters that come and attack him. Uh, and when you're watching this on on the Twitch stream, there's a chat on the right, and you can use chat commands to request invoices. Uh, sorry, you can use chat commands to request uh, monsters to be put on. Like, all kinds of... There's, like, I don't know, five or six different monsters and, like, uh, three or four different levels. I don't know the numbers now, but there's a different variety that you can basically choose. But you have to, like, construct the, the, the text command, which is a bit clunky. It reminds me of IRC. Uh, and then when you get that through, the bot will send you a, a payment request. And then when you pay that, the the monsters show up in in the, in the game in in waves. And what he has right now is basically like um, different audience members compete to see who can cause the most damage. And uh, there's no reward; it's just just for fun. Um, yeah. And it's really cool. But that as a proof of concept, like, is is crazy. Like the idea that the people watching you play a game can like in a meta sense, play the game with you. You know, like, it, it creates a whole new game. Of course, Like, because yeah. that, that is the game right there. Like, the audience interacting with you and, like, getting you <coughs> killed because they spawned 500 of those scorpions or whatever, that is the game. Like, the, yeah. you're playing a game, but the real game is that. Yeah, yeah. And, like, streaming is a huge thing. And, and there's, like, celebrity streamers with a huge audience that, like, you know, they'll... Uh, they, They'll receive donations, but those donations don't have an impact in the game. They don't interact with the game. So this is sort of like a new form of, uh, as a streamer, to receive donations, but a bit more interactively, where the, the donations isn't just somebody throwing money at you. It's like somebody throwing money, uh, putting, you know, putting money in into a cannon and like letting it shoot you for fun, but you get paid. Right. Uh, yeah, and uh, I know it's clunky right now. I think a lot of people who are not used to thinking uh, in terms of like development design and, and software iteration and those types of things, like they look at that and they say, oh, but like it's so clunky to use. <laughs> the UX will come. Like imagine a day when there's just a simple website and all you have to do is type your streamer's name in and it'll pull up the game they're playing and all the little options you have to like fuck with them while they're playing. And you don't even have to use like type in text yeah. command in the chat box and everything. Yeah, that, that's going to happen soon. Like, like sooner or just like an app on your phone you know what i mean yeah exactly like uh there's another guy called penguin shooter that did the the one where uh, he's shooting penguins <laughs> uh it yeah he did the one where uh, it got famous when somebody tweeted him like uh opening a door there was a qr code in the game uh and he paid it and then it opened the door but he's added loads of stuff the other day uh, he, yesterday he was streaming and I came on and then I think I paid for a 
Oh no 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 wait that was something else. Yeah, I I paid to to render some bears in the game, and then other people were like changing the music. There was music playing, and they put on this disco mode, uh, and it was just so random but, but hilarious. And uh, uh, yeah, he, I think he has like a, a B cash toilet where like B cash coins just fall into a toilet, and you can open the lid if you pay a QR code. Um, but okay, so the thing there is, he he did what you're saying. He he made the website with um, these options as like buttons that you, or like fields that you can just put in a number and then press a button and then get the QR code. So so yeah, I mean it's it's a UX thing after that. Like once once you've got a system like that, then it's just well, if you're a web developer, then you can see it. It's just like well now yeah, you just need a a nice looking website that just makes it easy for you to to interact with the game and that's it or like a web app uh sorry a mobile app um yeah it's 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 uh it's an easy leap to go from uh from where we are now yeah and as an amateur programmer like very very amateur programmer i would i've never really had i've never felt drawn to like uh creating my own games uh but lightning has made me want to like shift my focus over to game development and like front end because like that's where all the fun stuff's happening you know what i mean yeah game develop i can't say i'm a game developer uh, apart from lightning chess i haven't done anything before so i'm by, by no no means a, a, an expert in that but i have been working on web apps a long time um game developing seems really interesting to me it's, it seems more like a writing a novel or or making a movie because it you you once once you launch it that's it like you work so long to like to without sort of iterating on the game unless there's the early access ones i guess but in the majority of cases you're basically you're basically building this thing and then you get to the end of it and you launch it and then it's that's it um whereas with a web app uh there's a bit more iteration on it i think you launch, you launch like an alpha version, then a beta version, and something. Um, and uh, and it's very creative. Games are very creative. I think uh, there's also a very big movement in there was there was like a move towards realism, and now there's like moves towards uh, not necessarily real realism, but um, exploring different interactions. And I think people have realized that it's not it's not necessarily about realism that makes a game a good game. Um, and, and, and yeah, and, and it's become very artful, I think, um, people are going back to like, uh, you know, using pixels and, and back to platformers and, but, but yeah, it's, uh, sorry, I'm rambling. <laughs> no, you know, I totally agree, especially because, uh. You know, like the indie devs are the only people that have really driven game innovation like in the last decade. So, it, it, Lightning, I think, is going to be the next big renaissance in video game development. At least I hope it will be. Yeah, I hope so too. Um, so, is there any projects that you're working on right now that you would uh, be willing to share with us? Um, well, there's Koala Studio that we just launched um, to last week, two weeks ago, uh, and um yeah we're, we're just kind of getting user feedback right now uh there's a long list of things that 
that we want to work on and implement to the game itself. Um, but and this is for Lightning Chess, right? That you're talking about? Yeah. Um, okay. But at the same time, we're also uh, looking at this other side of um, of the system that we've built, uh, which is the accounting system and stuff, uh, and maybe making that into uh, developer tools for, for game developers. Um, okay, right. Yeah, you had said that. Yeah. Um, any plans to like create a new game in the near future? <laughs> a new app? Um, it, it depends on, on how this phase goes now. I think right now we're trying to see if we can get funding. Um, so we're speaking to a couple people and um, if anybody's interested, interested in talking to us, then just reach out. Um, and, and just, yeah, we're trying to fi find ways to kind of like keep the project going. Um, for, for new games, I have a, a bunch of ideas. Uh, it just depends on like, yeah, depends on like what happens in the next couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, most likely, um, we would, we would either be working on the platform or, uh, improving some of the things on Lightning Chess. There's, there's some other, so with Lightning Chess, like we, we focused on this aspect of like, uh, bi-directional payments and, and waging and stuff. But uh, there's other things that we haven't shown yet, which we're quite excited to, to do, which is um, just a simple, the traditional uh, in-game purchases. Um, because the majority of microtransactions that happens, or pretty much all of them nowadays, they're just in-game purchases. It's like um, buying skins and stuff. And it's usually... Uh, customizing your avatar or um, personalizing your experience with the game. Uh, so we wanted to, to well, we have an idea that we want to we include in Lightning Chess uh, and basically uh, demonstrate that uh, ability to, to do something like that with the system that we have. Um, so that, that would be something else to focus on in the, in the short term. Uh, in the long term, other games, uh, yeah, I, I have a couple ideas. Um, I'd probably like keep them, keep them secret for now. Yeah, I don't blame you. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, whatever it is that you come up with. Um, so <laughs> uh, you mentioned Koala Studios. Where can people find that if they want to check out, like, what you guys are working on? Yeah, so the website is koalastud.io. Um, and Clever. We are on Twitter as well, um, koalastud underscore io, yeah, and um, that's pretty much where, or uh, actually we have a Telegram channel as well, uh, which, um, how do I find it, where is it? Uh, I'll post it on, on Twitter. So that's, okay. And that, I'll have a link down in the show notes to uh, Koala Studios' website and their Twitter, just so you guys can find, and uh, to Lightning Koala's Twitter as well, in case you guys want to follow him for some nuggets of, uh, see, maybe get a sneak peek at whatever he's working on next. Uh, awesome. Thanks. Yeah. All right, man. Thanks so much for coming on the show. I really enjoyed this conversation. Maybe we can do it again sometime. Thanks, man. It was a pleasure. Yep. Likewise. All right, guys, I'm hoping you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. I really feel like I learned a lot. Uh, got really got me thinking about things like channel liquidity and about, you know, whether or not certain things should be made autonomous or not and um, how feasible it is to actually have 
widespread peer-to-peer connections for these types of services. There's, there's just a lot of really interesting problems and challenges and exciting things ahead for Lightning and a lot of really cool applications to look forward to, I think, that are going to be opened up by this new world of open finance. Do not forget to go check out koalastud.io if you want to follow more about what Koala Studios is doing which is, by the way, probably the best domain name I've ever seen in my life. Please check out Lightning Chess. You know, if you want to play me in a game of Lightning Chess, I can't promise I'll go easy on you, but just hit me up on Twitter and let's uh, let's play a game. I'll, I'll bet you a thousand Satoshis that I will beat you in a game of Lightning Chess. Anyway, if you want to find out more about the show, don't forget you can go to bitcoinechochamber.com, find out more information. So that's all I got for you on this one, and I will see you in the next episode.